Good morning. As you can see, the reading is John chapter 7. Um, if you haven't got a Bible and would like one, just put your hand up, and I'm confident that one will get to you. Um, it, the reading's on page 1071 of the Church Bibles. From John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He didn't want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was a widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision though actually it didn't come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, 
but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. Do uh, keep that passage open, and uh, let me lead us in a prayer as we start. Heavenly Father, we heard uh, last week, um, the Lord Jesus, he alone has words of eternal life. And Father, thank you that once again we can hear his voice this morning, and we pray, please, that you will help us um, by your Spirit to respond in faith, to understand and to take to heart the things we read here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, it is a long passage, isn't it, John chapter 7? Um, but in it, there is really just one question um, right at the heart of it, one question that hangs over it all. Who is Jesus? Um, it's the question everyone in Jerusalem is thinking. Um, have a look there in verse 12. Among the crowds, 
there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. They're debating who is Jesus. Um, Have a look down to, to verse 40. We'll see the same thing again. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Who is Jesus? It's the question everyone is asking. And one of the things John does for us in this chapter is to lay out all of the options um, to, to, to listen into the crowd and hear all of the different suggestions that they've got so that we can make up our minds for ourselves this morning. Such a, a helpful thing for us. Um, you might be here and still trying to work out what you make of Jesus. Who is he really? What do you think about him? Well, a chance this morning to think through the options. For others of us, we'll come regularly. We've got a good idea of who Jesus is. But there is always more that he's revealing to us, ways that we can be refreshed and reminded again, who is Jesus? Who is it that we worship? Who is it that we follow? We'll get to see more of him this morning. So who is Jesus? Um, the, The first part of John chapter 7, I think, is there to help us understand what sort of a question we're asking. What sort of a question is it to ask um, who Jesus is? And first thing we'll see, it's a question that we can't answer, but Jesus can. And the the setting for John chapter 7 is the next great festival in the life of Israel. Um, It's a festival that every male Jew would be expected to attend in Jerusalem. So Jesus' brothers um, are planning to go, and they are really keen that Jesus goes too. Um, Have a look at verse 3. They say, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. As we heard in the reading, um, Jesus says no and that his time has not yet come. This is not the festival where Jesus is going to go up and reveal himself to the world. That will come later when he goes up for the final time to Jerusalem and goes to his death. That's the moment where he's going to reveal himself most fully to the world. So he says, no, it's not time for that visit. But above all, what the the brothers have misunderstood about Jesus is this question, who is he? They've got the wrong answer to this big question. Who do they think he is? They think he's somebody who wants to be a, a public figure a celebrity, essentially, they're saying to him, look, if you go up to Jerusalem and play your cards right, you can be famous. Of course, it's, it's not just them who are thinking in these ways about Jesus. Do you remember the crowds at the end of John 6? He's fed them with bread and fish. And what do they want to do? They come and they want to put a crown on his head and make him their king. They are thinking that Jesus is a, um, an earthly sort of leader, someone who will fill their stomachs and keep them entertained. One of the things that John then is showing us through these chapters is how easily we get this question wrong, how easily we misunderstand who Jesus is. We're being taught over and over again to come back to Jesus, to listen to him, to let him answer the question, who is he? means that this morning, and we might have come with some ideas about Jesus, but it is a real mistake to think, I've got him in a box, I've got him nailed down, I know who he is. Let's let him speak 
afresh to us this morning about who He is. So it's a question that we need Jesus to help us answer. Uh, And then next, um, it is an explosive kind of question. Who is Jesus? It's a divisive question. Jesus has already been teaching about who He really is. And what's the result? Well, we're told um, in the first verse of this chapter. Jesus went around in Galilee. He didn't want to go in, in, about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. He's been teaching more and more plainly who he is, and it has proved to be explosive. There is hatred. And it's not just them, is it? Again, in those opening verses, we realize this whole question of who Jesus is is going to draw lines right down the middle of families. It's a question that divides Jesus off from his brothers. They don't understand who he is. They can't answer that question rightly. And so they are cut off from him. It has drawn a line down the middle of this family. It's going to draw a line down the middle of the crowds. They are going to disagree sharply about who Jesus is. So as we come to ask this question this morning, we need to realize that it is an explosive question. Many of us will know that already how it has divided our families, how it has cut us off from friends, how it produces conflict. It might seem strange to us. We, we often think of Jesus as somebody who is um, completely inoffensive, um, niceness personified. But as we go through, as we listen to Jesus and see the kinds of things he says about himself, we're going to realize that that can't be a good answer to who Jesus is, not simply someone who is so nice and lovely and fluffy. What he has to say about himself in this chapter is so explosive, it will divide, it will produce conflict. That's the sort of question that we're asking this morning. Well, let's head up to Jerusalem with Jesus. Um, He's not ready to reveal himself to the world, but he does go up and he goes up to teach so that he might help us understand a bit more who he is about, what he is about um, he gets up, and uh, he gets up to, their, to Jerusalem, and then he starts teaching in the temple. Uh, have a look at verse 15. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? And Jesus answers by pointing them to where his authority comes from. His teaching is not his own. It comes from God himself. We need to realize there's a, there's a promise from the Old Testament in the background here. Um, Here's Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18. This is God speaking, and it's God speaking to Moses. God says, I will raise up for them, for Israel, a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. Do you see how Jesus is saying, I'm that prophet, because the words that I speak, they're not my own ideas. They're not my own thoughts and suggestions for you. No, God has put his words in my mouth. And I've come to tell you God's words. Jesus is saying that um, is who he is. He is the prophet who speaks for God. And that's the first thing um, he wants us to understand. Um, It means then that the the Jews have got him wrong. And that's why um, we start talking a little bit more about Moses and the Sabbath. Um, It might be confusing why that's happening. It's, It's because of something that happened a little while ago in John's Gospel. Jesus on the Sabbath healed a man. And the Jews took from that that therefore somehow Jesus and Moses are opposed to each other. And that 
Jesus breaks the law and Moses gave the law, and so Moses and Jesus are somehow in conflict. That's how they're starting to think about Jesus. But Jesus, by, by, quote, by, um, uh, by speaking about himself as that prophet, is helping us see, no, Moses and Jesus are on the same page. Moses is with Jesus. Moses received that promise that there will be another great prophet who would speak, and that's who Jesus is. It's not the whole story, but one of the ways that Jesus will answer that question, who is he? He's the prophet who speaks for God. Second, um, he is the Messiah who has come from God. Uh, Just have a look down at verses 25 to 31 for a moment. Do you see how the word Messiah suddenly starts popping up? End of verse 26, verse 27, Messiah, and then again uh, in verse 31, the people asking, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Messiah, it's it's a word we've heard a few times already in John's gospel, means someone who is anointed, someone who is set aside as a king, as a ruler. It's one of the names Jesus has already used for himself. Do you remember the Samaritan woman um, asking whether he is the Messiah? Yes, I am, he's already said to her. Um, What we get here in John 7 is really the crowd actually debating um, whether he is the Messiah or not. And John is nudging us towards saying, yes, yes, he is. He does it with a bit of comedy, I think. Um, Here's the crowd debating. Let's pick it up at verse 26. Here's Jesus speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him, these um, these rulers um, who seem to be opposed to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? Well, no, (laughs) certainly not. And we know they're planning to kill him. But it's confusing. Why does Jesus teach with such authority? Why is it that people seem powerless to stop him? Raising a question for us. Then the people assert what they think they know really clearly. Verse 27, we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he comes from. It's reflecting one of the the traditions that people thought about the Messiah, that he would appear from nowhere suddenly and very visibly. Um, Whereas they think, um, we know this man. We know that he's come from Nazareth. That's where he's from. It's funny because, well, yes and no. Um, What does John say right at the start of this gospel? Where has Jesus come from? Well, he's come from the Father's side. He's come from heaven. The crowd say, we know where this man comes from. And Jesus says to them, verse 28, yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I think he says it with a bit of a smile. Yes, you do know, and no, you really don't know where I'm from. But John leaves us in this little section with a question. Verse 31 Many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The question's just left hanging in the air. I think it's a question that actually is put to us. Um, Remember what John is doing in his gospel. These things are recorded, these signs that Jesus performed, they're written down so that you might believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. These signs, these miracles that Jesus has been performing, they are proof that he is the Messiah, the one who has come from God. So will we answer that question? When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? No, he's proven that's who he is. He's the Messiah who's come from God. And then third, uh, he is the God who gives abundant life by the Spirit. Let's read verse 37 
um, to, uh, to 30 at 9. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If you've been with us in John's Gospel, it's a very familiar sort of promise that Jesus is able to give us living water. Um, He's already said that he can give us living bread and living water already. Now he repeats this promise again. Eternal life, overflowing, abundant life. That's what Jesus says um, he can offer. But in particular, we should realize that what he's doing is claiming to be the God who gives those things. To see that, we need to know something about this festival of tabernacles. It's not one of the tabernacles, one of the festivals that we know um, particularly well. Um, But it is one of the main festivals, as we said at the start. Every year, every male Jew would head up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And here's what God said when he first introduced it in Leviticus at 23. says to the people, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Basically, Israel has to go camping for a week. In late October, um, might not sound like your idea of fun. Um, For the Israelites, it absolutely was. Um, They called this festival the feast. It was their favorite of the year. People would stream up to Jerusalem. They'd erect these um, these tents, these um, temporary shelters, and then there would be all sorts of ceremonies happening happening around Jerusalem for the whole week. Um, You would have these great water pouring out ceremonies. You would have candles lighting up Jerusalem. I mean, the city was filled with light, and for a week, there were all these remembrances, all these celebrations of what God did in the past, of how he brought them out from Egypt, of how God provided for them in the wilderness. When they were living in those tents, God was giving them water. He was leading them and by that great cloud of fire. He was lighting the way for them. It was a great festival that celebrated who God is and what he did for the people giving them water, leading them on their way. Now do you see what Jesus does? Verse 37, On the last and greatest day of the festival, the festival that was celebrating who God is and what God has done, Jesus stands up and says in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. I am the one who can give you water. I am the one who can give you rivers of living water that will flow from within you. That great work of God in the past is the work that I am able to do. I am the God who gives eternal life by the Spirit. So let's sum up where we've got to. And we can do it using verse 40. Um, Join me there. On hearing Jesus' words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Yes. Yes, he is. That's one of the things that he's shown us. He is the one who God has given words to speak. He is the one who reveals God to us. Verse 41, others said he is the Messiah. Yes, that as well. He is the one who has performed these signs to prove that he is the one who will come and rescue his people. 
And more than that, the thing that people are still not quite catching on to, He is God Himself, the one who will bring um, and give eternal life. So Jesus has claimed to be all of these things, the prophet, the Messiah, God Himself. What does that mean for us then as we listen to what Jesus has got to say about Himself? Um, here in this passage, well, three things for us as we think about how to respond, what all of this means for us. First of all, we must answer the question. We must answer this question, who is Jesus? Um, One option that is definitely off the table is the one that's there in verse 12, the idea that he is simply a good man. Just, Just think for a moment what he's claimed for himself. He has claimed to be the one who can uniquely speak for God. Not somebody who's just got some wisdom and some good ideas, but the one who says, God has sent me to speak to you. He's someone who says that I am the Messiah, the one who is going to rule the nations, the one who is going to um, perform these miracles and show that I am the king you should follow. He has stood up in the middle of this festival and has said, I am God himself. I am the source of life. Next week, I am the source of light. I am the light of the world. It's a claim to everyone's worship, not the words of a good man. And it's a point that's, that's often been made, most famously C.S. Lewis. Um, he describes the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis says, that's the one thing we must not say. A a man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. So it's really helpful to say these are not the sorts of things that a normal good man says. Those options are not open to us. Um, It's an argument that I don't think C.S. Lewis came up with. Um, Certainly he didn't. In fact, um, I think John did. I think actually those three options that are left to us, what are the three options that are left to us? Well, either Jesus was lying. He's a deceiver. That's there in verse 12. One of the options people put on the table. No, He deceives the people. The other option is that he is out of his mind. Um, How do um, some people describe him uh, as uh, someone who is um, uh, demon-possessed? Verse 20. Um, I think what really they mean there is that he is crazy. Um, He's just said that people are trying to kill him. They say, who is trying to kill you? They think he's out of his mind. He's a liar. Or he's mad. Or, as Jesus has been teaching us, he is God himself. Those are your options. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's mad, he's bad, or he's God. 
There is no other way to explain who Jesus is. When you put those two things next to to each other, the claims that he makes for himself, how outlandish those are, how grand they are, and yet this man, who is so clear and calm in his authority, who is staggeringly good and so obviously sane in the way that he relates to people. So which is he? John wants us to answer the question. One of the things that he's doing here in John 7, I think, is is pushing you to give an answer yourself. Up until this point in John's gospel, the crowd has been quite a big group, and they've moved um, in, um, in, in en masse together, away from Jesus or towards Jesus. But do you see how in this chapter the crowd is starting to break down, starting to disagree with each other, You hear from different voices in the crowd. I think he's a good man. I think he's a deceiver. I think he's demon-possessed. I think maybe he's the prophet. I think maybe he's the, um, the Messiah. John is pushing us towards decision. What do you think? What do you make of him? Who is Jesus? So the first thing we need to do from this passage, answer the question, who is Jesus? Second lesson for us, I think, is to let Jesus be Jesus. It's what's going wrong with the brothers that we started with. Do you remember? They've got this idea of who Jesus could be. A bit of a celebrity, a public figure, if he carries on doing some miracles and keeps the people happy. They've put him in a box. They, they want to strip away the things that Jesus really is. They want to, um, to muzzle him so that he doesn't keep saying the offensive things and just keeps the crowd on side. They won't let Jesus be Jesus. It is a really tragic thing that in the church today, there are very many people who take the same approach, who think to themselves, um, we, we can market Jesus, we can make this work, we can sell this if we just strip away a lot of the things that are more offensive. If we strip away what Jesus has to say about sin and judgment and hell. If we present Jesus as somebody who can just help us to fulfill our desires, rather than somebody who wants to transform them, who wants to give us freedom from the tyranny of our desires. Or to present Jesus as somebody who in the end just wants us to be happy, rather than someone who calls us to radical sacrifice, to take up our cross and follow him, and to be generous with our goods rather than to enjoy them and to hoard them, to show mercy to the people who we don't think deserve it, Jesus challenges us in all sorts of ways. People are going to try and make of Jesus things that he's not. They're going to try and put him in a box. And we must let Jesus be Jesus. We must let him speak. It's a challenge to us as we think, are there ways that we try and trim and prune who he is and what he's got to say? But there's also a thought here that I think should really encourage us. To let Jesus be Jesus. What did we say a moment ago? We said there are three options. Jesus is mad, he's bad, or he's God. The thing is, lots of us carry around in our minds the idea that God is not a particularly nice person. We carry around this idea that he is distant and critical and harsh, um, that he is um, some sort of totalitarian figure. Um, the, The great atheist Christopher Hitchens, who died a few years ago now, Um, He once described God as as a celestial North Korea, um, a kind of dictator in heaven 
who wants to control you and manipulate you. We often think of God as something like that. And if we think that way, then we're not going to think there's any good option this morning. He's mad or he's bad or he's that kind of God. But we need to let Jesus be Jesus. He has come to show us what God is like. And the God who he reveals himself to be is nothing like that celestial North Korea. He is a God of love and life. A love that flows from father to son and into the world. A love that reaches to the lowest and the least. That's who God is. So if you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, it's really important that you are clear on which God you don't believe in. Um, There's a very good chance you don't believe in um, the same God that we don't believe in, that authoritarian, harsh figure. Now, we don't believe God is like that at all. We'd love to show you Jesus, the one who comes and reveals what God is really like. And for those of you who are Christians here, we need to know that he's this sort of God too. We need to let Jesus be Jesus. We need to let him speak to us about who God really is. Many of us live with the thought that in the end, God is this disappointed, critical father in heaven. This thought that we live just under his, his vague, perhaps sharp um, disappointment. It's easy to think of God like that. But we must let Jesus reveal God to us. He is God. He shows us what he is really like. We need to keep let, letting Jesus show us that. So answer the question, who is Jesus? We need to let Jesus be Jesus. And then lastly, we mustn't be surprised if the world hates us. Um, Not um, where we might choose to finish this morning, but it is where this passage goes. Um, It reminds us how explosive this question is. Jesus is the kind of God who does move towards the world in love. He will expose the darkness in us, but only so that we are drawn back to him. But the world will reject him. Um, As Jesus says at the start of the chapter, in verse 7, the world hates him because he testifies that its works are evil. And that hatred becomes more and more on show through this chapter. And so uh, in verse 32, the chief priests and the Pharisees um, are sent to arrest Jesus, or rather they send temple guards to arrest him. Um, That's um, a a group who are sent out. Uh, We don't hear quite what happens for a little while, but we do by the end of the passage. Um, There in uh, verse 45, the temple guards come back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Um, As they come back, as that attempt to arrest Jesus crumbles, um, let's see what um, what happens next. They come back empty-handed. The Jewish leaders ask, well, why didn't you bring him in? And the guards reply, no one ever spoke the way this man does. They've gone and they've listened and they've thought, he's really something. They don't know what yet, but they know the answer to who is Jesus is not simply someone that we um, want to silence. And you see how they reply, the way that they turn on these men. Verse 47, you mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted, Have any of the rulers or of of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. These Pharisees and chief priests, they turn on these guards, but you see they do more than that. They look down on them. 
They act so superior. There's such pride here. None of us, none of us, the rulers, the Pharisees, we don't follow him, just this ignorant mob. It's so sneering. It's so elitist. It's a very good chance that lots of us have experienced something like that. Um, It is a, a pretty common thing to hear And the idea that sophisticated, educated people don't take Jesus seriously. You have to be some kind of idiot to believe this nonsense about Jesus. It feels really hostile, doesn't it? It feels really belittling to be told that kind of thing. Whether it's um, your family, whether it's your friends, whether it's your lecturers. It feels hostile. It feels belittling. It's not even very rational, is it? For all that it says, and we are the educated ones, see what happens next. One of their own, Nicodemus, dares to speak up. Verse 50, he'd gone to Jesus earlier, was one of their own number, and he asks a very reasonable question. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? But they just dismiss him, and they... um, they turn on him. Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. There's an elitism, there's a pride, there's a hostility that comes out to a very reasonable question. Now, why is John showing us that scene? I think he is preparing us to experience things like this, to realize that it's an explosive question. As we give our answer to who Jesus is, There are going to be people who hate the answer that we give and are going to turn on us. Some words from John's gospel later on and where Jesus is preparing his disciples for exactly this. John chapter 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. We will see this more and more in John's gospel. To follow Jesus means you'll experience that kind of hostility, the sneering, the threats that come. The identity of Jesus is this explosive question. We need to be ready for that, and then we need to hold on to the answer that we've given, to know that he is the great prophet, the great Messiah, that he is God himself, the one who's given us life, a life that no one can take away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we praise you that you have sent your Son into the world so that we might know how to answer that question. We might be able to answer, who is Jesus? And so, who are you? What are you really like? Father, we pray that please, as we've heard from Jesus this morning, you would help us to take these things to heart. To know that he is a prophet who speaks for you. So may we listen to him. To know that he is a Messiah who has come from you. And so please help us to trust him, to follow him, to serve him. To know that he is the God who gives life. And so might we come. Might we come and drink. Might we come and receive that life for ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.